0: Hey, Gabby.
1: Hey, Brendan. Hello, everybody.
0: Our guest today is the award-winning author of 10 crime novels, including the New York Times bestseller, The Turnout. She also writes for television, including Dare Me, the series adapted from her own novel, now streaming on Netflix. Her new novel, Beware the Woman, is in bookstores May 30th. We are very excited to welcome Megan Abbott to the RoyCast. Hello, Megan.
2: Hello, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. We have a juicy episode to talk about.
1: <laughs> yes, we are so excited to have you. We are ecstatic. Uh, I was, <laughs> we were just talking a little bit before the recording how Brendan and I have been a big fan of Megan and her works for a while. So this is just a, yeah a wonderful crossing of paths.
0: Yeah, I've been trying to figure out, like, how many little sidebars I could sneak in there to ask about, like, books and, like, various <laughs> things, but, like, we have a lot to talk about in the episode, so I'll stealthily try to sneak things in. Um, but, yeah, we, we do have to get cracking, because it's, uh, as, as we hoped it would be, it's a, it's, it's a good one. Um, so we are here to discuss Season 4, Episode 4, Honeymoon States, the quick plot rundown as usual. After an opening scene in which viewers learn that Shiv has recently undergone amniocentesis and is nearing 20 weeks of pregnancy, the family gathers with colleagues and assorted hangers-on for a wake at Logan's penthouse. An imminent call with the Waystar board to determine the interim CEO is complicated by the discovery of an addendum to Logan's will, undated, which lists Kendall as the desired successor, although his name has been either underlined or poorly crossed out. Meanwhile, a surrogate for Lucas Matson nudges the kids to fly out for Gojo's annual retreat the following day, while Marsha has returned to claim her role as Logan's next of kin, selling the penthouse to Connor in a handshake deal and banishing a tearful carry from the premises. After marshalling support from Stewie and successfully pitching the C-suite, Ken secures co-CEO roles for himself and Roman to Shiv's bitter disappointment. The brothers are immediately ushered into Logan's private office where Carolina and Hugo suggest spreading damaging information about Logan in the press to bolster their own reputations, which Roman angrily rejects. In private, however, Kendall corners Hugo and blackmails him into leaking the negative stories unbeknownst to either Carolina or Roman. So, again, uh, quite a lot kind of happens in this episode. This is an episode where everybody's sort of gathered in a a, a sort of small space. Uh, We really don't leave. Logan's home for the entire episode. but I guess we wanted to start with uh, as we've we've taken to calling him recently dark Kendall, the return of this sort of you know Machiavellian scheming side of Kendall that had been a bit dormant in in previous weeks. Um, the episode opens and closes with him in these contrasting states of composure at first he, Looks disheveled, sleepless on the balcony of uh, his <laughs> his new penthouse. I guess this is the fourth uh, apartment we've seen for Kendall. And then uh, finally, in the final shot, he's perched over Hugo in this predatory pose, smiling in this impression of Cox's cat who caught the the canary satisfaction. Um, and that's two episodes in a row that have ended with Kendall, where we had remarked in previous weeks that the show has been happy to use him as a supporting character over the last season and change. Uh, he's surging to the to the top of the power rankings, as it were and his old obsession with Waystar and with taking his father's place uh, has returned. And the uh, the spark that kind of renews that sense of destiny in him is another instance of that objective correlative, the item that brings the absent, or in this case, departed Logan's presence into the room, the piece of paper with an ambiguously underlined or struck-through name, which is a very elegant gesture on the part of the writers because it captures, I think, Logan's ambivalence, toward his children, and perhaps a, a desire to toy with them from beyond the veil. Ken is very eager when he first learns about this to see it as a confirmation that, oh, he was always meant for this role, that he has this destiny, this identity to claim. Uh, but I think by the end of the, that, the episode, it's starting to nag at him, to fuel that sense of spite and vengeance that is also part of his father's legacy. And that pencil line with that slight upward lift, I started thinking about it as another echo of the the Loganish expression on Kendall's face at the end that could be either a A snarl or a grin.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I know last week's episode was sort of like this big Pantheon um, hour that's going to be the talk of a lot of awards and best of lists. But I found this episode to just be so quintessentially succession, which is a great testament to everyone involved that our first, uh, you know, foray into a succession world without Logan Roy didn't feel off kilter, but actually just like very faithful to the show's spirit. I think part of it is um, Scafaria is really keyed into the, to the contours of the show. Her direction um, is terrific here. If you recall, she directed Too Much Birthday last season, which was also sort of a fan and, and critic uh, favorite. And um, also, I think just the return to sort of like a tonal baseline after the, the deviation from form, especially in the last week's episode, but also in... in, in um, the prior episode, but they're sort of bouncing around the city, which was something they don't usually do. Um, but I had a great time here and found it ridiculously rewatchable. I mean, you guys know how much I rewatch every episode, but this one, I just, um, you know, it wasn't hard for me to just get, keep pressing that, uh, little backwards arrow. So, you know, although he's finally gone, Logan's Spectre still very much, you know, haunts this home and the people who spend time in it. And it's, it's clear that his presence is, is, going to matter for the rest of the series, but it's interesting um, to see space cleared out and some old relationships brought to the fore in a way that we haven't seen in some time, to see the C-suite on maneuvers in a more freed up way, and of course the kids are where they have found themselves many times before, but without you know Logan's iron fist, we start to see how they move through the world as their own people. Um, I was immediately brought back to both um, episode... 102, uh, should show at the fuck factory, and 302, mass and time of war, instances where the kids are separated from Logan in some capacity and trying to arrive in an arrangement with Kendall leading the way. You know, a lot of laughs, but lots of also, um, you know, hard truths and painful dynamics surfacing, and obviously the principal difference here is that Kendall is now fully kind of off-leash and, and um, adjusting to his place without the, you know, checks and balances that his father used to keep him in line with um you know mind you it has only been a day but um as we've been discussing you know throughout this season the kids have sort of been regressing um and you know it's pretty clear now to see how critical logan's death was to sort of um you know see the circularity that characterizes the series through to, to uh you know a more natural end literally
0: well, Megan, I'm curious about your general impressions of the episode, and I'll pitch it to you in this way. Um, you, you've written for TV yourself, and this episode is one that strikes me. As something the show has done a couple of times throughout. Gabby just referenced the second episode of the show, which was shot like 16, 18 months after the pilot, and the show has taken a couple stabs in its short life. It's sort of like retooling and repiloting itself after some very big changes. I'm wondering, you know, how how that strikes you as somebody who's who's been in these writers' rooms and thinks about, you know, how the sort of momentum and continuity of a show kind of like perpetuates itself while also giving the writers room to adjust on the fly.
2: Yeah, I think about that so much because I know a lot of people really imagine Jesse Armstrong having plotted this all out on some master board. And he's just moving these chess pieces around. He sort of becomes the Logan Roy in in the imagination. But he's, he's talked, as you both know and have talked about openly several times about change, you know, originally Logan was going to die in season one, right? So there was really, there's been some major shifts. And I think it sort of speaks to the pliability of the writer's room to sort of move with the the strength of the actors, the different relationships that developed, you know, this sort of chemistry between several of them and to sort of modulate. But I think what, what he does orchestrate so smoothly is... I th- really do think, even though there's, he's talked about this too. There's some variation, but he really knows where he wants to land at the end of a season, and then works backwards from there. That's what it sort of feels like, and that's often what you do in a in a writer's room with a story like this that is is leading in some direction. Um, whether it's a thriller, of course, where you, you sort of have obvious momentum, but in this case, the the thriller, the mystery of who will who will uh, take take over and take the throne. Um, and I really think that we see the sort of strengths at this point, building on all the, all the episodes, where there's such a deep, total understanding of what what he wants to do and what the writers want to do. Every character feels so lived in that we can spend five solid minutes with with Frank and Carl and Jerry in the China closet, <laughs> and it's. The most, like, every line it tells you everything about that character, their relationship to it, their position in the group. It's just um, delicious. And then to sort of pay off, which I also think shows need to do in later seasons, pay off um, promises to loyal viewers, which is that things that have been sort of dropped in earlier seasons get picked up uh, uh, again. And I think... We see that a lot in this episode, with with Marcia, with Shiv and Tom. You know, we see a lot of certainly with Jerry and Roman stuff that has um, been set aside a little bit for the the you know the season until now, and now it gets to sort of spring forward to the front again.
0: And there's something very true to life about this episode, in the way that you know, obviously we watch it and we think about this as like you know, kind of critical viewers as commentators, we think about the show doing its last bow, right? It's bringing all these characters back for an encore so you can see, look at this great ensemble we've gathered over the seasons. There's also something very true about just, you know, the occasion of a death, and especially a very powerful person's death, and all these people suddenly coming back to see how they can get their beaks wet, you know? Like, that's a that's a very real thing. And thinking about, you know, the end game for the series, something that I uh, kept thinking of was, you know, the way that Kendall surges back to the front of the series, because that seems very much the end game right like the show had toyed with you know him as sort of a more comic supporting figure at times in season three and had toyed with him you know taking a back seat and letting shiv and roman kind of drive the plot for a little while uh but you know he was always the eldest son and the way that everybody is kind of looking to him In this episode is interesting not just because you know that's the that's the plot matter that's happening the the protagonist is sort of Stepping forward but there is this natural bias at play where everybody just assumes that because Ken is the eldest son He must be fittest. He must be the person who's who's in control here And it's not necessarily any qualities that Kendall himself has right because we've seen his weaknesses So clearly over the course of the show, but he but he sort of very naturally steps into that role
2: I think that's right, and I, I think it's sort of part of what I was just was so fascinated in this episode is that is there, there's sort of this there's been a lot of feigning to more subversive, you know, that the, the siblings would come together and and they would sort of defy our expectation or that they would put aside um, sort of past schisms and 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 now we sort of see where things really land because all that sort of gets shoved aside. I mean. This sort of, to me, and I think I think it's no mistake that there's a female director for this episode, because to me, this is very much the women get pushed out episode and that we, that we have returned to like the, the deep patriarchy that always was at the center of Waystar, you know, that this is really the, the King Lear, uh, we're, we're bringing it home for the boys and and kendall entering his ki- killer era um and you know in in real sort of shakespearean form so i think i think the you had talked to gabby about it being like a the haunting and i think logan's presence is sort of this ghost hanging over that uh, that whole townhouse and we see his sweater and his chair and his Sudoku, and he's he's there even though he's not there. And I think there's just this is sort of we're entering like high drama mode. While always, as with Shakespeare, there is this comic element too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I definitely want to hear more and, and discuss more about sort of the the misogyny that is yeah at the heart of this show sort of resurfacing here and 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 kind of <laughs> no woman left behind in terms of of who's getting screwed over um but yeah just like in regards to to Kendall and that paper which i just feel like we need to like <laughs> just talk about a little bit like it's it's such a clever little device cuz first of all it's just it's so funny you know and succession above all is just <laughs> whenever there's pain there's humor and so just to think that Logan had this document in his safe that he takes out at a whim and scribbles through and crosses through and underlines um it's it's so like it's so typically Logan I mean his lawyers aren't even aware of it it's just this little thing that lives you know, in his study, in his library. And, um, how,
2: and how long we don't know what it says. You know, he, they really dance with us, right? I mean, it's not, they talk, Frank and Carl talk about it for several minutes, we yes. still don't know what it says, right? right. So th- we're being toyed with in this in the same way. Logan's toyed yeah. with us.
1: Yeah, he, he loves the mind games. You know, legally it's meaningless and it's as indecisive towards Ken as Logan was in life. But that, that ambivalence hold, holds all this emotional weight for Kendall and feeds sort of his, you know, whether you want to call them delusions or dreams about what he believes his destiny to be as, you know, as the rightful heir. And, you know, it's a silly little cudgel to wield because, you know, legally it holds no weight. But the way they talk about it, you know, at the end, it's so funny when, you know, Carolina and Hugo, they're like, we can talk about the paper, like (laughs) literally just a piece of paper. Um, But for Ken, it means, you know, dad did think I could do it, you know, at least at one point he really did. And, you know, so so it's a catalyst for him to give into his worst, you know, most egocentric instincts, um, pushing Shiv out, who he had just you know formed an alliance with asserting himself to the c-suite which i can imagine is only going to intensify the play with hugo at the end um this idea that he can only he can only ascend he can only become his truest self if he becomes his father and even though we know ken does have the capacity to see logan for who he is and differentiate himself uh that that pull is just it's so primordial for kendall but it, it comes from a place of deep dysfunction and unresolved pain that um you know, no, no victory could ever possibly feel like one. I think Kendall thinks maybe this is a way that he could fix himself. Like, like he said, in the season opener, I need something to really pour myself into. He's got that addict mindset. But um, the only actual remedy would be to leave. And, you know, we know he's not going to do that.
0: Well, and I think the I think it's important to unpack a little bit of the motivation behind that final move, which everybody is interpreting as like, oh, this is him becoming his father, because it's this very ruthless move to sort of you know burn his father's reputation in the press to burnish his own but there's more to it than that it's not a nakedly ambitious thing there is this other motivation that's bound up in it and I think it's important as you know as the show is nudging us towards you know Ken becoming Logan in certain ways it's important to keep in mind that it's continued to differentiate him from Logan in certain ways namely how sentimental Kendall is I think you see that in the way that he builds alliances with Stewie by like just like explicitly leaning on when Stewie says what's in it for me by saying like why don't you do a solid for your oldest friend the day after his dad died. Um which I don't know <laughs> I know but people is, are very is that,
2: Is that sentimental or is it a manipulation? I mean that's right. the question. <laughs> right? always well, the question yeah. <laughs> they're always
0: they're always intertwined, yes. Yes, uh, they I, are I have, they are I'm very dubious about the the how how uh how long that friendship between Stewie and Kendall is gonna hold out before Stewie betrays him for money again. Inevitably, but the other really the other real piece of that decision there is I think there's a real motivation because Kendall sees Roman first react very strongly very negatively to the idea of burning their father's reputation and There's a sense in which Kendall takes that decision on himself to protect Roman from it I think that's a huge piece of this is it's it's this continuation that you, of this dynamic you see throughout the series that we've discussed many times, where Kendall has the psychological need to assume that protector role, which is, which is, you know, tied up in a, a sort of fatherhood, yes, but also the role that it's implied many times that he played in childhood as the protector of his siblings from his father's abuse and perhaps from the people in his father's orbit. I think that's a big, big part of it, and that's why, you know, it's not necessarily like a full like Breaking Bad moment for Kendall, right? But it's a, it's a real sense in a way, you know, his own motivations, you know, dovetail with the kind of things that Logan would do to the point where they beca- start to become indistinguishable, right?
2: Do, do you think it's possible, and this is just striking me now, that um, that the name on the paper was a test of sorts for Kendall, that he needs to see if he can do what he needs to do, because to your point, Brendan, the smart thing for the company Is to sort of knock the father down so that the company can rise, make the deal, stock price go up. So that in some ways, it's sort of Logan's last sort of test for Kendall. Like, can you do what you need to do? Yeah, I was
1: thinking the same thing, Megan. We don't try to get too conspiratorial here, but like you know, you think about Logan and the kind of person he is, and you're like, well, maybe actually,
0: right? We can spin out dozens of theories about whether it was an underline or a strike through, and you know, at what various point. Uh, Logan might have done that, it is a bit more tempting to me to think that it is ambiguous on purpose. That's perhaps like a shade too diabolical I think for Logan and perhaps thinking a bit too far ahead for how he for how he tends to do things.
2: Yeah I I don't mean literally a game but like we're sort of seeing if you know that was always the question right? Logan doesn't know if Kendall's a killer and I guess what seems like what Kendall's trying to show here is that he is. Not a sort of out of control person but that he can make the hard decision and because he knows his brother can't make that or live with it he's going to protect him from it and do what he needs to do so in some ways to sort of see if he can be the 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 killer uh uh that his his father was never sure about as that as that underlying slash crosshair
1: suggests killer or hero in kendall's eyes
0: yeah, the sort of the sort of chaos move, however you want to interpret it, of just scrawling this on a piece of paper, throwing it in a safe and says, Well, they'll figure it out someday. That's uh <laughs> I like I like that mode I like that that reading better because it preserves that ambivalence that I think is what makes it such an elegant and again, such a beautifully funny and mundane device that it is. You know, just a just a, a simple little jot on a piece of paper that engenders all this confusion is a very plausible, everyday kind of thing that all has all these poetic resonances throughout the series and you were speaking a moment ago, Megan, about Shakespeare, and I had someone reached out to us uh, last week or the week before to ask what we thought of, you know, this, this theory that the, the show is building towards some kind of Pyrrhic victory uh, for Kendall in particular, you know, that he gets the CEO role, EO role that he ascends to the top, uh, but he, you know, destroys so much in the process that it's, it, that it's somehow hollow. And my thinking about that has always been that, you know, the, the show kind of can't help but go that direction. Um, because of how wedded it is to the reality that it's depicting, you know, Armstrong and the writers know that in life, you know, people like this do not suffer horrible physical calamities. They don't suffer great you know, personal tragedies, generally. they aren't held accountable for their crimes. So the show can't help but end with them in a position of wealth and power, even if they're not, you know, nominally in certain positions on the org chart. Um, but the thing that they're going after, the thing that they actually want, are not aligned you know they're going after this power this corporate power but the thing they actually want is this psychological emotional validation and affection from their father that they're never going to get especially now right uh so the show kind of can't help but go that direction because no matter they're all, they're only going to end up in power at the end and they're only ever going to be unhappy but uh but strong did reference uh Richard III uh in an interview I read as a, as a reference point for his character this season which was very interesting Especially thinking about, you know, the way that he starts this season as a supporting character. Now we see him moving a bit more to the fore. Um, you know, Richard III being, you know, the the classic tale of a completely amoral schemer who, you know, murders and plots his way to the throne but drives himself mad in the process and also creates so many enemies that his position is so vulnerable he's quickly overthrown. Um, so there's a lot of interesting implications there. Again, when we have teased out these kind of classical shakespearean references in the past the show's not too wedded to like explicit plot events so you know it wouldn't do to be like oh this character is buckingham or whatever in this in this plot line but you know that's that's definitely i think something that is probably on their mind
2: i think so even that reference now that you say richard the third to the two princes when carl yeah. says he doesn't you know yeah. which is for richard III. <laughs> yeah, the third there's a two really princes nice. yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that really good that, uh, yeah <laughs> But but like you, Brendan, I I, I I actually, that notion of Kendall ascending to an empty, to an emptiness at the end was kind of where I thought we were going it's until this episode. But this feels too early <laughs> for Kendall. Right. I feel like maybe there's something else going on. You know, if this were episode se- seven, maybe. But now I feel like there's going to be, I'm not so sure. And like, like you're saying, I don't think it ever quite, he, I think he really. The writers really avoid lining things up too neatly, and they do love the kind of warp and wolf of messiness of real life, and maybe that feels a little, a little too uh, aligned for, for, for their uh, tone.
0: Yeah, well, and the other thing about Richard III is, you know, I don't know, if people have different opinions about this, some Shakespeare scholar is going to come out of the woodwork and yell at me, but <laughs> there's not a ton of incredibly compelling characters in that play outside of Richard. Right, like he's very dominant, you know, in that in that play, everybody else is kind of secondary because they end up getting murdered, right? Um, and you know, his his main nemesis is a very wooden sort of like you know knight in shining armor figure, and you know, th- and that's very different from this series where you know the people that Ken is going to be contending with are rich characters with full inner lives and psychological depth. Um, so I don't think we could possibly go that direction because. While the show may be returning to Ken as the main character, he is kind of first among equals at this point. The ensemble is a lot more fleshed out than it was at the beginning of the series.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that brings us to to Shiv and the big news of of this episode, big development. Woo. Uh, big news. Yeah, Woo. Was, yeah.
0: The, I know. Wat, I... Watch watching this episode, I was immediately the first few minutes. I was like. Uh, Gabby is losing her mind I mean I I was losing my mind a little bit but I was I was just thinking about you in particular
1: I know I've been talking about this for so long I just uh but I'm with you too Brendan I know you thought at first like the phone call was gonna be something about maybe like a terminal illness or something because I thought like no way like they they mentioned that she was on birth control like they, they set that aside um but yeah I I was you know I was pretty excited um you know and yeah like we we've you know, we've talked about this. I think it's been sort of threaded in the text starting from season two becoming more um, explicit, obviously, at the end of last season. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's been building towards it. We've you know, we've it's it's interesting to think about child rearing, uh, you know, Brendan, like you have here in this in, in this sort of elite sphere, what it might signify for someone like Shiv. Um, you know it's not the same complication uh career wise that it would be for someone with 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 less resources um we've talked about that before so, i think it's a bigger one actually <laughs> i i mean in dif- yes. yeah in a, in yeah. Di- in a different way yeah. yeah yeah totally in a different way i mean in, in the sense that she um you know i i it's not going to be the same in terms of of you know, what she has to, uh, sacrifice because she could, you know, yes, she is going to go, she's carrying the child. She's enduring the physical demands of pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum. It's not like she has a surrogate or anything. Um, not to mention there's the insinuation that she's having a difficult pregnancy. You don't typically get an amnio unless, um, you know, something came up, uh, as, as high risk. Uh, her doctor alludes to, you know, some blood tests that, that, that prompted the amnio and amnio is kind of a, um, Invasive procedure so she could have the baby recover and hand it off to nannies for the rest of its life But I still don't think anybody in this world will look upon this news uh, With any other reaction than you know, phew like that problem is solved, right? Like the Roy's in their extended world are so mired in misogyny and old-school genderal ways of thinking that a pregnancy is sort of The perfect pretext to continue to carve her out even further, which is I think why she um, is you know completely uh, you know, <laughs> not not happy with this news. Um, she you know, knows and
2: our... she knows it's the end for her. For her, yeah, for, this is yeah. it.
1: You know, in our society, and for sure in the Roy world, you know, mothers don't really get the grace to be absent like fathers do. I mean, look at Kendall; he never sees his kids, and people barely remark on it. I mean, occasionally Roman will make a make a joke about it, but he generally gets away with it. Um, you know, Shiv could do that. She could hand her child off. Uh, you know, to to caregivers for the rest of its life, but you know, then she she will become just like her mother, which is you know arguably her worst fear. And it's not like she even proved herself as a worthy successor while Logan was alive. You know, she came close, but she failed. She doesn't have a job to return to upon maternity leave. You know, this this is only gonna push her further out. And um, you know, I found it interesting that in Logan's absence. know we've been talking about shiv unraveling a bit but she actually was able to like express clear-cut emotions in this episode with actual verbiage you know she said i'm angry my dad is dead my mom is a disaster my husband is dot 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 you know there was passive aggression throughout the episode too but she's actually starting to um you know really understand that this loss of control um is tied up in anger and i think um marie and i talked about shiv's anger in episode one but um you know, she is furious. And now there's going to be all this guilt in the mix. You know, she already thinks that they killed dad by, um, you know, sending him up on that jet and um, in the guilt of not really wanting wanting your child. Uh, there's a lot of ways this pregnancy arc can go. And, um, you know, I know people are like, oh, you know, a pregnancy arc for a woman that's so reductive and TV shows don't always don't get that right a lot. And I totally understand that. But we need to have faith in the crew here, you know, they're, they're, this is not going to be conventional and I, the development does make perfect sense. Um, you know, the name of the show is Succession, and I've mentioned this before, but in families like this, um, it is an expectation that as a woman, you bear children. Um, so none of this should really be surprising to anyone in retrospect and, and brutal as it may be. I don't think Logan ever saw Kendall's kids as worthy heirs. Uh, we know he, how he felt about Kendall's son. And, you know, Sophie is a girl. Girls don't matter. And she's adopted. And, and she's not white. And, um, you know, <laughs> this is just me talking from Logan's point of view. Um, and, you know, maybe he was banking on Shiv and, you know, little Womscan's children to, to, to be good enough eventually at some point. Who knows? But this was one thing that Shiv could have, you know, given her dad. And, and it really makes you wonder about that, you know, no, not now on the phone to him last week. You know,
2: I don't even think the physical or practical realities of having a child are even even relevant because the symbolic meaning of that she's a woman and is now going to have a baby. Everyone was reminded that Shiv is a woman, and so she's yes. out. The The quickness with which her brothers completely dismiss her without even knowing right. that <laughs> that she's pregnant. But then if they had that, I mean, when you think of all their jokes about having her period or, like, making jokes about her physicality. Right. or Only press. your teeth
1: that matter. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, it made me think of another Shakespeare, um, Lady Macbeth, where she says, unsex me. You know, she mm-hmm. wants to sort of, she wants to have, you know, lose her her sort of reproductive organs so that she will be taken seriously. And it really feels like what Shiv knows is not only now does she... Doesn't, she doesn't have a shot at. but she can't tell anybody right away because of that. and she can't she's isolated from her brothers and from Tom because none of them can know. So I, yeah it's, I think her anger is really real and she does start to she's together at the beginning. And then starts to fall apart. She falls. Literally falls. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's sort of a heartbreaking episode for Shiv. You know, Tom is sort of lurking around her, trying to take advantage of
1: her vulnerability. Yeah, it's... pulling out the Mr. Darcy stops. <laughs> yes, very, very Totally. It's 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 very it's very gothic, really. You know, yes. she's sort of
2: surrounded by evil minions and uh, sharks, and uh you really really worry for her. I think it really yeah, is humanized. Baby,
1: yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, she's already clearly un- under like going through a stressful pregnancy based on, you know, what the doctor said. She had that fall. Everyone was like, oh, the, you know, the fall killed the baby. Like, eh, relax, guys. I-, I fell when I was pregnant. My baby was fine. Like you can fall and-, and your baby will be OK. But it does it does foreshadow something that could happen. I mean, she she could lose the baby. But we we don't know. You know, we're not in the business of making predictions, but I imagine that it will not you know, we're we're, we're not going to see this baby be born because we know that the, the structure of the season is, um, you know, limited to. Well, right? so, like, so, I mean, so, ah, so far it
0: has been that we could flash forward. We don't know. We could yet. flash
1: it's forward. I, I don't think there's going to be like a five month flash forward where we have Shiv in the delivery room with Tom holding her hand. And, oh,
0: God <laughs> you know, <laughs> God.
1: I, I just, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I think it's going to be, I think we're all going to be surprised by whatever happens, but um, it's, you know, not No pun intended, it's very fertile ground for, for exploring um, Shiv's final arc, which is something Brendan and I have been sort of hung up on for a while. And I know some people might think, oh, pregnancy is the easy way out. But, but for, for someone like Shiv and for the situation, absolutely not. No, oh, she's going to fight harder, you know, because she's being
2: pushed out. And I think, um, you know, I think that giving up in that scene with her brothers and then seeing what happens seconds later where the, they're, Crowned kings in front of her, I th- I think that's going. You know, I mean, we could speculate about you know her returning to Tom, creating some kind of you know strength in that. But I mean, well, if he if he's the person costs- <laughs> counting on, I don't yeah. know.
0: But yeah, I'm I mean, not, I'm, I'm really not sure what's the bleaker narrative option. You know, Shiv <laughs> raising this baby on her own and handing it off to nannies forever, or going back to Tom and quote unquote staying together for the kid. You know, just creating right. a different version of hell.
2: Or not for the kid. I, mean, I meant that they would be too. Uh, like, Tom knows a lot of secrets, right? Um, yeah. Um, and Shiv does too. So Shiv knows about Kendall's uh, problem. Right, <laughs> and, right. That, that's and, another
1: thing, yeah. And that's...
2: Tom knows all about, Tom knows about everything. So if they, you know, if we're going to see these different camps sort of reorganized, seems like that could be one.
0: Yeah, I mean, the news just contextualizes, you know, a lot of stuff that she's been going through throughout the season, and we've talked a lot about Shiv's character as somebody who is, you know, the, the show's main vehicle for exploring the idea of the cognitive dissonance that people in this world use as a defense mechanism, and Shiv having world-class defense mechanisms that at this point have sprung several leaks. You know, I almost feel like, you know, the implication that her pregnancy is going badly is kind of a suggestion, you know, like in a symbolic way that there's like this internal pressure that something is going wrong on the inside and pushing its way out. I mean, you know, the I mean, and
1: there's there's actual biological basis for that too, you know. Sure, it's not sure. even just, yeah.
0: And we t- yeah, and talking about the amniocentesis is something you only do if the pregnancy is going badly, but you know, it's also you know to see is there a reason not to keep this baby is there it's also a sort of looking for an exit strategy
2: seems like she wants the baby though doesn't it i mean not that she didn't want it. that call was very you no, know no i agree the, yeah, yeah. The, I, I don't it,
1: think she wouldn't have gone through all of that because it, don't she and tom
2: yeah. ta- they he talks about her cycles last season you know they uh, she's know. very aware of it um and i i was sort of in some ways relieved to see the fall because it suggests to me that that there won't be a miscarriage because I don't think, because I, as you say, they would think they storytelling. They're not going to do some like ham handed foreshadowing where she right. falls. And then we find out in the next episode that, you know, it yeah. seems much more, the tension is in that pregnancy itself. As, as you're both sort of saying that, that possibility of what it means, um, in a show about succession um, and about and about family and about power. And in the same episode where we see with Carrie, because I think some people were speculating she might be pregnant, um, and that yeah. did not seem like the way that the show operates. So. But yeah. I love that, I mean, uh, that heartbreaking scene with her, which we can talk about, but like the same episode where you see woman being pushed out when her utility is done, which is what happened to Marsha. And what's happened to Jerry is, you know, very, I think that Shiv is very aware of it. I mean, that's very much on her mind. And maybe this will be a gathering of purpose for her uh, about what she
1: really wants. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because, you know, you don't think of Shiv as as a naturally maternal type, but there are, you know, women like that who can grow (laughs) into the role and, you know, lots of women once they have their own child you know do do fall in love with with motherhood and we don't we don't know what would happen
2: uh, yeah i doubt it i meant a gathering of purpose about about taking over uh, right of uh, course, yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. i just mean how it you know how it how it um intersects yeah. with that because it's like i said like she you know she ha- doesn't have the pre-established position to return to right it's like people are going to look at this pregnancy and say well you know Adios, Mama. Like that's you know this is gonna be your role now, and um you know you have to go take care of your kids. So you know you know you're not coming to this meeting. Uh, you could just see it now. You know the jokes coming in now, and you you kind of see that anguish on her. And 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 Shiv, you know, has world class armor, and it it's sort of reflected in the way that she's been dressing this season. Um, I'm sure some of that has to do with you know Shiv. <laughs> it's it's funny because Sarah Snook is pregnant. Um, she was not. She didn't know the 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 crew did not know she was pregnant at this point in filming. Um, I'm not sure if she was aware. It was very very early on in her pregnancy, so this is all. It's all going to get a little bit weird, uh, you know, in the later uh, episodes when maybe she's showing a little bit more. Um, but yeah, but 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 you know, I, I think Shiv is very conflicted about this. It was something that she knew she could give her dad. Um, that would make him happy. It's one concrete thing that she could do for him that her brothers couldn't really do. Um, and yeah, even the way that, uh, you know, she makes the joke to Tom about, you know, well, if we you know, didn't send him up there on that plane, he'd live for 20 more years and rock his grandchildren to sleep. And that's all over now. And then uh, later on, there's a comment about, you know, how. Logan doesn't even hug his grandchildren. And she's like, aww. And she, you know, she says it in a way that's kind of so authentic that it, it it's, doesn't even sound like shit. It kind of sounds like Sarah Snook saying it because, you know, Snook is just like so much more of a, you know, naturally kind of like sweet. You see her as a mother, right? You don't see shiv so much as the mother. But yeah, I mean, this is, um, it's hard. And when you get to that sort of 20 week point and you start feeling the baby moving around, it changes a lot for you. I was pregnant. Um, I got pregnant right before the pandemic started. I found out. Um, late February, so just a couple weeks before everything in New York. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so it was it was a really hard time. my husband works um in a hospital, and we had to separate for a while. It was a, a really like kind of unbearable time to be pregnant, and um, I, you know, I I struggled with it, and it was painful, and I had very dark thoughts, and um, but you know, once you get to the point when when the baby starts like moving around, and you find out the gender. Um, it changes. You're sort of all in. And people are like, oh, well, you know, Shiv can still get an abortion. I mean, yes, she can still get an abortion. And we can talk about how TV shows have or haven't handled abortions. Um, You know, it's typically not something that has really been done on TV. But I don't think Shiv is going to have an abortion. I think I don't think she would have been, uh, you know, I I think she, she probably initially kept the baby because it's like, well, you know, maybe this is, you know, what I need to do for Tom, for Logan, for, for whomever. Um, and now she's at a point where I think it's, it's, you know, it's a little too late. I I, I don't think, you know, it, G- yeah, G- she, she, I, yeah. I just don't get the impression that she would go through an amnio and all of that. Um, I think anyone but- thinks
2: she's going to have an abortion, but I think it's really more right about the, but you're talking about how is this affecting her as a, as a woman, right? That's, yeah. Is yeah. You, yeah. Cause I kept thinking about, that terrible conversation with her mother at the end of last season. I mean, I think that's on her mind, right? She mentions talking to their mom and that conversation where her mom says she wishes she she never should have had children. And I think
1: that has to
2: be really at the forefront, especially separated from her husband um, really at this very critical point with the business and with her brothers it's just really N- and no support yeah. yeah i mean
1: i i um I, I thought about keonti shire that episode a lot um you know in this episode mirroring sort of um ken and logan in in that episode ken saying that um you know he disavows everything logan stands for but then we see him here sort of morphing back into dark kendall but i think more interesting is um you know just because we don't get that much time with Caroline or get that much time to explore the the mother-children relationship um, of this series, even though Caroline is, you know, ever present and her influence clearly shaped the kids. Um, but we're starting to see a path for Shiv becoming her mother, which is a terrible fear of her. There's this quote that, I don't know who I can attribute it to, Um, I saw it on Tumblr and I've been trying to find an original source. I think maybe it's just somebody wrote it on Tumblr, but I think it's, um, you know, pretty relevant here and it's um, mothers and daughters existing as wretched mirrors of each other. I am all you could have been and you are all I might be. Um, You know, Caroline is openly bitter about her life. She deeply resents her children, their father. She says she feels like she never wanted anything. You know, she she's just you know rife with bitterness, and now Shiv can see. You know, and Shiv was so desperate after that conversation, right, to go back to Tom and say, "I'm gonna do everything different. Let's have a baby. I'm gonna be in charge." Um, and all of that has completely just you know spiraled out of her control, and and she can see herself, um, possibly turning into her mother as much as she has tried to fight it, distance herself from her and be the kind of person who's in control of her own destiny.
2: It's interesting to think of Connor's mother, cause they keep bringing her up after yeah. not talking about her right at all, really until recently, but the, um, they've talked about her right in these back to back episodes as well, three in a row, right? They have to mention her as, you know, as him having... Been. And in this one, we learned that he was physically as well as emotionally abusive. And this the last episode that we learned that he had her put away. Uh, this is talk about gothic. Um, right. It's <laughs> like Jane Eyre here. Yeah,
1: the... <laughs> we've we've known that she was she was mentally incapacitated. Institutionally so they at say. Some point, yes, but we didn't right. know until this season that Logan was really very much. More... It's not, <laughs> not a great
2: world for mothers on the show. No, and I think, not. you know, we really see that, you know, there's this the. Jerry never gets to see her children because of the nature of her job. You know, this is a sort of very fraught um, world for right. mothers. So that's what Shiv, I think, has having in her face through this whole episode. Yeah, exactly. I, th-
0: I think, yeah, that conversation with Caroline at the end of last season is very much present for her here. Because that conversation with Tom on the steps, I feel like, is almost, almost that moment of like real introspection and self-recognition that we're like, Waiting for the show to give this character because it's the thing that we feel that she needs to, for the show to end and somehow uh, to have that tragic moment of like complete recognition of her own her own flaws and her own failures. Um, but uh, yeah, that that sense of you know actually losing and she and there is like how could she help but become her mother at this point where she is she feels herself becoming so bitter about these lost opportunities in real time almost. And-
2: and do you think there's a little bit of I could become my father too starts to feel terrifying? I mean, I'm they're, they're very surprised that she gave in so quickly to the. Everyone knows the interim. See, so you know, like it sort of puts you. I, I was surprised that she gave in to so her moment. brothers. You yeah, mean? yeah. And I wondered
0: I mean, she's if it's so you know, outnumbered. She's so outvoted in that conversation. It's so true. What. Kendall says there like it's so cruel but he's when he says like that was daddy make work about the strategic review Uh, yeah he's completely right about he's completely right about that but of course like there was a reason that she was not ever given real work to do you know
2: but yeah but there's so many things she could say about both of them you know and so many things she could say to the board about both of them I think she's so stunned and the reasons you're saying Gabby I think that she's so emotionally stunned by her father's death and this pregnancy falling upon each other. It feels like this is her up Like, in some ways, we saw Kendall sort of gathering himself into his new, uh, you know, like, processing everything at the end yeah. of the last episode and the beginning of this one. But it feels like Shiv is still in the heat of a lot of revelation and self-revelation. And maybe yeah. we won't see until...
1: Kendall's totally. got his his grief guy so he's good. Yes, that's right. That's Roman right. Roman has Roman has pre-grieved and will fall apart at that's a later right. date. She only has Tom. <laughs> Though I did think it was interesting.
2: Did you see? I only know this from an Instagram I file account I follow Succession fashion that she's wearing University of Minnesota t-shirt. Yeah. Right, which is Tom's. I thought that's a Brandon. Yeah. It's, it's Tom's so school. I, I, I
1: mean, come on. Tom, I, I mean, Tom is, uh, we, I think he went to Cornell based on what we saw in his office. It's possible that maybe, you know, something but was I for think graduate only for, school. I think it was for
2: business school he yeah, went to Cornell. Because yeah. he's and from then, Minnesota, right? Right. We, yeah. And
1: then I, I read that, you know, for people from that area that like that would be, it d- wouldn't matter. Like you would still be rooting for the school. You would still have the gear even if you didn't go there. So it was, yeah, it was very cute to see her in that shirt. And, and As, as uh, someone
2: who went to University of Michigan and then to NYU, I n- only ever
1: wear my Michigan shirt. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that that midwest pride um yeah, yeah should... that was it's very sweet and yeah we can we can go into shiv and tom now um, yeah we I'm should very... talk about
0: that tom scene one one yeah. quick note we, you were mentioning you know the mention of connor's mother in this episode and of course the motif of you know women being pushed out of the way there's another very small cameo that you wouldn't catch unless you're very eagle-eyed or obsessive as we are uh, but uh, but if you freeze frame and somebody actually online went and transcribed, which you can see on the addendum, Logan has requested to be buried with a photograph of his sister, Rose. Uh, oh, so, of course. Oh my God. So yeah. again, we, and, we and still don't know what quite happened with his sister, Rose. Some, Rose. Something bad happened to Rose, Something that Logan blamed himself for. Um, it's, again, yeah. this very gothic sort of family right. mystery. Um, yeah. But another, another little detail that's submerged quite deeply in the episode. Um, but, wow. uh, but that's
1: so that's so sad about the oh, God. <laughs> and oh. that, and you,
2: when you started that, I was thinking also it's Sid Sid Peach is sort of pushed out too because she's actually in the. <laughs> we only hear her say what tough break candle <laughs> or something. Her kind of uh, um, yeah.
0: They, her... keep, they keep threatening to push her out, but she's hanging on.
2: No, <laughs> she's barely in the frame. But um, but, but that's Jerry also...
1: too. Wow, she just Jerry
2: and and. To... She, that was fascinating to me because she was pushed out because of what Roman did. And so, right. And then he really shuts her up in that key scene when she's trying to stand up for herself because, of course, he's sort of... And then Roman makes the comment he's not going to help old women old across ladies. the street. Yeah, anymore. ouch,
1: Roman. Jeez. And then,
2: of course, Willa, who the title episode title comes from her realization that um, her honeymoon is going to be spent
1: in the honeymoon state Talk about stage. the Midwest, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I want I wonder about the titles like any any kind of like symbolic import there because there's a sense in which, you know, the last the titles of the last few episodes are all just kind of like viewer misdirection because they don't want you to know that these are the episodes about Logan's death and his funeral and his or his wake. Uh so it is kind of misdirection in a sense, but there's also that sense of like campaigning and like Kendall going on a campaign for CEO and also, very much in this episode, Tom campaigning for like literally somebody, anybody to put <coughs> on his side, somebody to adopt him as a lackey uh, again, so that he That's can right. have someone to claim to pledge allegiance to. Um yeah, and also that very brief honeymoon period before Kendall and Roman are immediately asked to start making horrible, nasty decisions.
2: That's right, and I think for Willa, too, that romantic wedding moment, and she's immediately. Going to be campaigning on her honeymoon and then has Connor make this major purchase without her knowledge. And she will be stuck. Takes stock- her to a
1: beautiful <laughs> island somewhere at some point.
2: <laughs> but, I, I mean, it's even the way they have her dressed very young in this episode. Yes, yes. Almost, you know, with the choker, the little dress. The choker, um, yeah. It feels almost like the Greg's date in the is it the first episode, first episode. with the capacious handbag and then we have yeah. we have we have Carrie with the capacious tote bag being chucked I, I, off so right. all these women are being sort of pushed to the corner out of the room out of the apartment right. and Carrie's sort of looking upstairs at how close she got, you know, that sort of, her tears streaming down her face. I mean, I've never, who could be a fan of Carrie? Not me, but I thought that was a, a really genuinely great actor moment. I felt oh, so great. sorry for her because she got so close and she's sort of trying to whisper to Roman, you know. Yeah, the, was the, return,
1: the return of Marsha was kind of triumphant. Yeah, the the way she like sort of just immediately... Um, you know, recolonize the space after being absent yeah. for a while, the way she insinuates that she has been talking to Logan every single day. toughest uh, that, of them all. <laughs> in, in, yeah, she is. Oh, my God. That was it. And what she did to Carrie. I mean, that was uh, that was a murder. Um, But yeah, the 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 intimate phone call every night type of thing. I mean, and she's been working on this divorce. You know, they're not divorced yet. And she's been, um, you know, wringing what she can out of Logan. And now, I mean, she is in prime position. Um, yeah, it was, but it, it was interesting to see things kind of just roll on. Like, like I, I know everyone was uh, forlorn last week at, at Colin, not having anything to do. But he's immediately back on the clock, you know, protecting Marsha, stopping Carrie from moving up those stairs, which was so sad because just a couple episodes, Colin and Carrie were working together. They They ostensibly were in the room when Logan died together. And then just the next day, he has to... You know, be a bodyguard against her. Um, well, that's another you know. very
0: interesting thing about Colin, right? Because he's because he's actually really not on the clock. Or he doesn't really seem like he's on the clock because he shows no. up. He's in these jeans. He shows with up with family. his wife and kid we we've, who we've never seen before. Who we were quite recently speculating could a guy like this even have time to have a family? I right. guess he probably never. He probably doesn't see very much of them. Uh, but yeah, he he sure slides right back into that mode of doing uh, you know doing Marsha's bidding. She's now the the head of the household right? And he's uh, he's the, the household security. I, I do want to stay on that Carrie scene just because I think it's so just, relevant yeah, to what, we we're, could wrap it up, what yeah. we're talking about. And it's such, I mean, it's such a striking scene in so many directions. You know, I, I do think that Zoe Winters has made a case for herself as perhaps the like most underutilized supporting actor on the show or somebody who just like completely like home run every single like opportunity she gets. Uh, for a bit of screen time on the show she just has really smashed her last few episodes um and this yeah this scene is like really it's really striking in its cruelty and it it was telling for me just the way that marcia wields her power in that scenario which is to let everybody know that she's you know she might be a woman in this world but she's not like these other women right and she makes very clear the difference between her And the other people in the house is that she's not going to hesitate to use the power that she has to her advantage. And it's also very striking in that scene that the person at her side is Greg, who the show has been using very pointedly in the last few episodes. I mean, we all had a great bit of fun joking about the disgusting brothers. But I mean, there is a real hard, nasty edge to his character this season where he's fully just like one of these fratish flunkies in the way Star Corps, you know, much like Ray, who's also glimpsed at this, uh, at this party. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the, the way that those two characters, that Marsha and Greg are right side by side, and Greg is just very gleefully uh, poking fun at Carrie's expense in this wrenching emotional moment, is, uh, yeah, I think it's, it says quite a bit about how this show perceives the way that gendered power is used.
2: That's right. It's almost like he and Roman have switched places, and Roman is the one that, uh, whatever, I mean, I think he has a couple motives in that moment, but I do think he's genuinely feels for Carrie in it. I think so, too.
1: I think so, too. It's interesting because Roman was the one who was sort of making all the jokes about, you know, get Dad's dick out of your mouth and stuff and kind of being, you know, disgusting towards her, which is sort of typical Roman fare, Um, but... You know when push comes to shove roman uh he gets very squeamish in in moments like this and he and he you know he knows what women in this world have been through even if he's complicit um i think there's a part of him that's deeply uncomfortable with it i think it's part of the reason why kendall kind of feels the need to to step in and protect him you know roman has vulnerabilities that um, that you know that 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 are very very real and i think this was maybe a way of roman to try Try to do some kind of act of kindness for his father. Whatever we think of the relationship between Carrie and Logan, there obviously was something there, and and maybe helping her, um, you know, was was just, you know, I think there was genuine pity. But, um, I think you could see throughout this episode, even the way that when when Shiv is being pushed out, he struggles with it. I, I watched the show on silent, which is something that Brendan always does. I did it for the first time, and I really, um, really emphasized Kieran's discomforted um expressions at, at comments like you know the daddy make work i think he, he really struggles with this and and i also think he wanted to actually get carrie's information to maybe find out if dad had listened to his voicemail or said anything yes his yes you know like once again information seeking in this world is so hard that's been constructed by and informed by like tabloid machinations he probably wants to hear something maybe tender and real about his dad's last moments and I, you know, I 100% believe Carrie when she says that Logan was talking about, you know, rearranging things. It doesn't mean that he was actually in a rush to go through with it. You know, Logan is the one who said, you'll, you'll say anything to get fucked on a date. He was dealing with a very messy, complicated, expensive divorce. But I do believe he promised her these things. Um, and, you know, it was devastating to see her in this state, you know, just so quickly her world completely flips upside down, you know, evil and sinister as she may be as a character um this was you know yeah some incredible acting by zoe winters writing blocking all of it um and the way roman kind of just groans at the end of it and it's like you know it's just horrible like he just you know he can't uh, you know situations like that make him um you know very uncomfortable
2: it felt to me like he identified with Carrie, like maybe sort of yeah. being pushed at by his dad, sort of pushed out or, you know, as we saw what happened with his dad last season. Um, and then his dad's treatment of Jerry, whom we know he still feels very attached to. So it felt like and because he's always been the kicked dog in the family, the kicked puppy in the family. Yeah. It felt it felt to me yes. like he. there was something
1: in that that he responded it was, to visceral. It was so pathetic and sad, yeah, that, that he, he definitely had a visceral reaction, yeah.
0: It felt very visceral, and it felt very, I don't know, I mean, obviously we know this is a show that uses a lot of improvisation, but that scene felt heavily improvised. It had a great deal of that energy, the way that he keeps insistently asking for her phone number in the middle of all of that. There's also this interesting, perhaps, psychological transference between Roman and Kendall, where Kendall is has been the one in the past who immediately jumps into the center of conflicts. And, and Roman sort of does that here as well. We've also remarked many times in the past that um, Roman's sexual issues include a odd fixation on his parents' romantic partners. Yes. Um, so, you know, there, there is a bit of that perhaps motivating it. Uh, but yeah i mean he it's he, a
1: lot of Oedipal... it's yeah. a, it's a rich stew <laughs> drives, you know yes. <laughs> uh
0: Lorene Scafaria, who directed this episode she also mentioned in an interview that this scene was in the middle of a 15 minute take so they they're they're very oh, wow. comfortable with those with those long scenes on this show um i mean I, I mean i think you know Scafaria, she directed too much birthday last season as we mentioned and she is also going to be back for episode 6 this season they brought her back for 2 and and i can see why she ha- she clearly has a great feel for this show. I mean, doing this kind of thing in a single contained location is the kind of thing that sounds simple on paper, but is very complicated in terms of direction. And, you know, rewatching and rewatching this episode, there are so many subtle and clever and pointed bits of staging, things that are done with blocking the way that Roman, for example, is constantly sort of like casually disrespecting the space, juggling paperweights, falling backwards onto furniture. He loves to do this. Roman does. He loves he to does sit love <laughs> He loves to sit oddly in places. But there's also the, you know, the way that the sort of downstairs of this, I've been calling it a penthouse, penthouse townhomes are not really clear. There's an elevator in it. It's very odd. Um, but uh, there's all these like little steps, obviously Shiv trips over one at the end. There's all these little steps between rooms and uh Scafari uses these to create height between actors like ken uses them to to tower over hugo at one point yes that I, yes.
2: That's, that's, I stopped for a second because we know that jeremy strong is not that not tall. That tall yeah. i realized he was on the yeah he well, was on and, that step.
0: well and there's an even more pointed bit of that where we're reminded that he's not that tall when he's next to tom who towers over him in the scene where he's walking at his side and you know and again he's making his very pathetic Please. Like, oh, there's there's things I wish I could take back. And Ken waits until he's climbing the stairs and he gets a little bit of height and then he turns and delivers the kiss off to Tom.
2: Amazing. What do you think is going on with Greg? He is also mentioned on that piece of paper. uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely taken a, a turn towards the he's. Yeah, I think it's really distinct how. Even, he even sort of makes Tom uncomfortable in this episode um, with, the, with the way he's talking. I mean, do, do you, have you speculated any about what his... I mean, he's still in the mix somehow.
0: Yeah, I mean, Gabby and I have had many conversations about Greg over the years where we have a lot of ambivalence toward the character because we, you, know, we, you think of the way that he starts off in the show. He's almost a stock type. He's the, it's like Chris Addison or Tim Simons on Veep. And the thick of it, you know, just like the tall oaf these shows have in common, it's a, it's a, it's a stock Audience type surrogate. that these, these these writers find very funny for some reason or another, um, you know, and quickly, you know, the in, you know, even in the pilot, that role expands because they find that there's a great chemistry between Braun and McFadyen, and that's mostly been the engine for his sort of relevance to the plot throughout the show, but that started to kind of peter. In season three, where they gave him a love interest because they just were having trouble thinking of things for him to do in the show, it seemed like, because it wasn't a very compelling storyline on its own. But I mean, yeah, there's always this kind of joking or silly theorizing among the fan base that, like, oh, the show's going to end with Greg becoming CEO. And, you know, there's a bit of truth to that in the sense that, like, the show is that there is a principle of failing upwards, and Greg is the sort of gormless creep who does sort of just like drift upwards through reverse gravity in these sorts of structures. But yeah, the fact that his name appears on that piece of paper is interesting and suggests to me that the show has not completely ruled something like that out. Like, I don't think that Greg is going to be the CEO at the end. And obviously, it would be insane for them to ask, like, Braun to do any kind of emotional lifting at this point in the series. Uh, But I wouldn't rule out him, yeah, climbing the org chart in some way. Because the one thing I did think of was that you know, the only plausible reason I could think of for Greg's name to be on that piece of paper is to screw with Ewan, because in the pilot- Yeah, you and, in, Ewan in, is in the, the only the, thing that In makes the sense pilot, to me. that's what was being floated, was Greg was like, oh, what if I could take over Ewan's board seat, since you don't like right. Ewan or whatever, which was preposterous then, and it's slightly less preposterous now. So, I don't know, I'd keep an eye on that.
2: I mean, putting on my writer's room hat, I would say they're laying groundwork for that he's going to do something, probably for somebody or for himself- that's that's quite awful, and so we're sort of seeing the sort of his sort of that he's sort of really become sort of the worst version in some ways of the Roy family because he doesn't really he's sort of a mix, but because he's half in between, right? He's half he's half in the family and half out, um, yeah. much like Tom, um, and sort of the desperation is only going to intensify where they don't know who to. Who to sort of stake their uh tent with um? So I would guess that he's going to be doing something, but but yeah, I don't think it would ever be um, yeah. I Those those grand conspiracy theories. That's not really how the show operates. You know, everything right. is is um.
1: It just doesn't quite. I mean, if this were Veep, that this, would be a different story. This episode <laughs> generated some of the wackiest theories and takes that I have she ever too. seen, and I'm pretty keyed into like the 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 weird twitter takes from the from the you know from some of the more uh you know zealous type of fans um but yeah there was some weird stuff about uh of Shiv's baby being Greg's i was like what the hell are <laughs> you guys watching this show from um but my guess is just that it has something to do with ewan and uh, Logan has always kind of been hung up on his relationship with you in the past you know messy complicated uh, Ewan still has the board seat, he has some sway, he is still, you know, he's actively taking care of his arrangements for, you know, his eventual passing. Um, it will be interesting, um, we know we're going to get some some James Cromwell in a future episode, so... Uh, he's still driving
2: know. there, he didn't get to the wake of time,
1: so long drive! <laughs> he's not going <laughs> to... Exacerbate his carbon footprint and take a plane.
0: It's, uh, it's, that's below <laughs> Greg's plane on a motorized bike. It's, probably, like, yeah. the it's, it's right probably
1: a greyhound at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the great James Cromwell. It will, be ex- it will be exciting to see him. But yeah, that that was my guess. It has something to do with Ewan, but we'll see. I mean, I just, you know, Greg is, you know, it's it's sort of, you know, unpleasant just to see him at this point. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, that could bring us to, that know, does, to Tom. That does bring um, us
0: back to Tom. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Another, and, uh, and more of that, that kind of blocking that, uh, that, uh, conversation between him and Shiv takes place on the steps. And yeah, and I'd be very interested to hear you talk about this, Megan, because I know you mentioned having a particular, perhaps Midwestern affinity, uh, for the, for the character and the, and the, the particular way that this, uh, this really beautiful scene between the two actors. Teases out perhaps some history in their relationship, which struck me as very odd because uh, It's it's like Tom is trying to remind her of a a more innocent time in their relationship It's like he's trying to seduce her again But it it also in the way he tells that story the way that he mentions it was a difficult time for her It's sort of like is this just your M.O. Do you just sort of come to her (laughs) when she is helpless, right?
1: Well, yeah, and it was after she had just, like I said, like actually expressed some real emotion for the first time that she's angry that her father has died, that her marriage is falling apart, that, um, you know, her mother is a disaster. I mean, she doesn't get to the pregnancy, but then Tom shifts to this, like, remember the first time I. It's when saw you him. do <laughs> it, that's what? when you swoop in. That's <laughs> oh, when you got right.
2: the vulnerability. Tell us, tell us,
1: Megan. Tell us. <laughs> well, what I, are you doing here?
2: <laughs> I mean, he really is sort of this. Uh, it's a. You know, I guess made most famous, but not exclusively to him, but F. Scott Fitzgerald trope. Uh, Fitzgerald is from Minnesota. um, And many of his characters are from the Midwest. Um, Nick and the Great Gatsby. There's many stories, Winter Dreams. But they're always about these Midwestern, usually young men, who go east, and east is the point of corruption and decadence and wealth. And they become enraptured by this social status, and they attempt to sort of climb their way up or, or float their way up, depending on how romantic the story is. Um, but the the East sort of represents this sort of depravity, um, this sort of excess, this sort of the fall, whereas the yeah. Midwest represents the heartland and kind of purity. And so Tom's... Yeah. I think it's no mistake that he's from the Midwest and that we're reminded of it in this episode with that Minnesota shirt. Um, But I was particularly struck by that, by his sort of the queasy social climbing way he moved around that party, which is a time we haven't really seen since the first season to be so, he so feels he's losing his position. So he's really working all the angles. And I think with Shiv, it really does speak to the way their courtship probably operated because she was his daisy, right? This sort of golden, shining, beautiful child of wealth. And the fact that he mentions her silk blouse, see, in, in the memory of that seduction seems yeah. so significant to me. It's a sign of wealth, like like just the thing that he, we know he's so in love with when he fears he's going to prison, how he talks about his wine and all the things that he's going to lose. Yes, he, he loves the, the decadence. The yeah. creature comforts or his famous meal with Greg, right? Where they eat all that. Uh, <laughs> Ordolan, <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, yes. I think it really, um, she is the living symbol of that. It's not that he doesn't love her, but I think it's inextricable for him from this symbol mm-hmm. of everything he desires, this sort of yeah. Eastern beauty, the daughter of wealth. and. It's so interesting how he's sort of on the lower step, right? And he, you know, he keeps saying in the episode variations of I'm just here to serve or I just seek to serve you. He's sort of you know, doing this sort of knightly gesture, but it's one of like, you know, as if he's giving himself over to her to help her to be her servant, which is is very clever. And she elbows falls for it. And I was so glad she didn't, because it there's something
1: so so you think Negative he was manipulating fact. her? Are oh, we, totally. I mean, absolutely. I, but
2: not that it's, I mean, emotional. Right, not that right. Yeah.
1: Not it, that it wasn't real, that, that, I that memory. I think it's absolutely and, real. Yeah. I think
2: he would love to comfort her. Um, but of course, he did betray her along with her mother, like the ultimate betrayal at the end of last season. And, you know, obviously, we know all kinds of reasons behind that, but... Um, You know, she, there's a moment when it feels like she's going to be lulled into it. And and I do think they're going to end up in some capacity back together. Um, But I think she wants to be treated like a princess, too, because it's sort of especially with her dad gone, you know, and I think in some ways she's feeling that loss, maybe most of all. um so she says
1: she is she says she feels like she's the only one who yeah actually lost something But everybody here is just is fighting for power and she's like where's my dad you know
2: and tom you know from what we understand his mother's a lawyer right we remember that remember that from uh, it's you know grew up as sort of upper middle class midwestern lifestyle but the dizzying heights he has ascended to um through his sort of wile and guile um, yeah. are immense. And every, I mean, he gets that great takedown from Carl. Carl. Oh who, who's God. Who's like a clumsy, so he calls him a clumsy interloper who's, you know, who's one, yeah. who's one ally is dead. And his wife doesn't even seem to like her.
1: Oh, and, that was such a great read. I loved that. I love uh, the C-suite off the leash, just yeah, like finally. <laughs> so I
2: think, you know, he knows what he needs to do. Um um, and I do think, I do think he loves her too, but I think that love is inextricable from what she represents to him, which is a real it's Gerald yeah. notion.
1: Yeah, that's really brilliantly put. I had never thought about that with the, 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 the moving eastward. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think if he, you know, finds about, finds out about her pregnancy, when and if I'm assuming it will happen, um, He's got the it's, whole situation. It's going to be very difficult to keep them apart, to keep him apart from her. He very much wants to be a dad. I think uh, you can really see it. It's it's kind of funny for me because, um, we you know, we joke about how Tom is a little bit effeminate sometimes. Like, with the wedding planning, Shiv just didn't really care at all. And he was so, you know, he was uh, groomzilla. And I feel like he would totally be dadzilla in this situation. Like, I can see him, like... Shiv just, like, not really caring uh, that much, but I could see Tom, like, you know, coordinating with the night nannies and keeping, like, the pumping schedule for her, you know, if she she decided to breastfeed or whatever, and just being, like, you know, like, completely, um, you know, devoted to it. I don't know how great of a father he would be, but he definitely has that um that energy and he clearly you know he he wants a child um well, he, he, it. he wants it he I was mean, tracking the, her cycle it's heir. yeah it's the air but it's also tied up in the fact that he would be bearing a roy heir. um you know i i would not even be surprised if uh he that gave the child the roy last name you know forget the wamsgans he almost <laughs> gave up the wamsgans last name himself when he got married um so yeah it, it's you know it's something that would pull him back in in a, in a truly loving way but yeah it's also um you know yeah very corrupted by this uh this uh, striver mentality that he just is so affixed to
0: well Gabby you mentioned earlier we can go into it a little bit more but the way that Shiv has been dressing this season in particular i've just been thinking about the accessorizing with that very striking padlock suit she was wearing at the wedding uh, and she's wearing yes. and in, and in this she's got a necklace that sort of has a ring on it and so there's this theme of like locks and you know uh of a cl- sort of closed position and uh Snook is like hugging her knees to herself in that scene like very a very closed off posture, but there's also that sense that you know Tom really would like to shackle himself to her, wouldn't he um and he 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 would like he would like her to be his anchor for the for the family.
2: That boy, that's so right. And she does all these physical things where she keeps putting... Obviously, she's worried about the pregnancy showing, I'm sure, a little bit, but she keeps pulling her jacket back together. When she gets up and yeah. moves away from him, she sort of put, pulls her, buttons her jacket up again as sort of like a kind of armor uh, protecting herself from him, which seems, seems really distinctive. And it makes that fall seem all the more fraught. And it's, you know, isn't that when Stewie and who else, they're laughing,
1: right? It's Ravenhead.
0: It's it's Mark Ravenhead. Ravenhead. Another, the- and Stewie, yeah. With-
1: yeah. She tells them uh, it's not a comedy night. It's very, it's very funny, very funny yeah, piece of acting Raven from Yeah, Ravenhead, of
2: course.
1: I yeah, Mark, was- Mark. Yeah, he was there floating around saying, you know kendall you're in our prayers and stuff he's uh, yeah, right
0: just, it's a just real... praying for you ken yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but those those two laughing it's a real fat boy moment yes. too and it's also um you know she's surrounded by that by the end of the episode that energy yeah, she's built. she's
1: exhausted by it you know and and you know megan i know a lot of your your writing deals with the the mystery of and and the intrigue and the misery that is being a a teenage girl and we don't get too much uh you know too much in terms of of what shiv's adolescence was like uh you know just a little bit of words here and there we don't get flashbacks but you know it's it's interesting and i've always kind of thought about her just growing up in this boy's world all these boys around and how hard it has been for her to sort of come into her own as a woman you know like just even by the way that she she dresses and carries herself you could tell that she just she just hasn't had a lot of maternal guidance a lot of female friendships um and yeah i think she is reaching a breaking point with her anger with all of these boys and um yeah that moment um was it was a you know it, it was hard to see but it's interesting because we know Shiv is you know not some wilting little flower like she could fight back and what is she gonna bring and people have brought up the Kendall's accident and you know could she um you know make a maneuver there I don't know but you know I don't know what your thoughts are on on just like Shiv existing in this world and and you know people are, are so torn on this character I feel like she 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 brings um out just like so much divisiveness in the discourse because you know, it drives she's evil crazy. and she's <laughs> is she evil is she sympathetic and it's so hard for me to to, to reconcile because there's there's so much to her and I, th- I think about her as a child and how hard that must have been
2: yeah you know? i i really some of that online discourse is so enraging when you look at her brothers <laughs> and she gets the hardest treatment i think by far they, you know, cold as ice, icy shiv, you know, uh, this is sort of monster. When you look at Roy and Kendall and Connor are, you know, they, they, but they're sort of taken to heart. Um, They're really given a kind of love song or a tragic love song or like a sad right. boy, sad boy. Ro- Roman
1: Roman gets the jester's privilege. Yes. Kendall's get the sad boy privilege. Yes.
0: You know, yes. Yeah.
2: And, you know, certainly Connor has been given these emotional Grace notes these last few episodes, easy to forget, but I think we're going to be reminded soon about what a right-wing monster he is. Um, Well,
0: because that's something this this episode is very good at. I mean, because, again, you were just remarking, Megan, it's very pointed and purposeful that Ravenhead is the one laughing with Stewie there. Stewie, by the way, who is ushered into that upper chamber into the library where that CEO decision is made almost as kind of as a replacement for Shiv right like like Ken brings reinforcements yeah. right like that's a that's a big reason that Shiv doesn't have much room to push back is because not only have Ken and Roman allied themselves against her but like he's brought uh, he's 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 also beefing up his numbers. Uh, but the way that that kind of like fratish, jocular male chauvinist attitude is bolstered in this episode by the presence of like yeah just like actual right-wing you know like Nazis and ghouls right like an actual Nazi in Ravenhead right right and then uh, the and then pet kiss yeah Stephen root the ron petkiss character from the who we met at the future freedom summit last season uh very very funny that bit where connor talks about they're trying to make dad a neocon it's like but he was he was a paleo libertarian or an anarcho capitalist Anarcho-c- I'm, I'm not even sure that these are meaningful terms really ultimately uh but i think this episode does a lot of interesting things thematically with reminding you because again a big thread of this season and a big thread of where you know why hypothesize the season is going, is the treatment of media and, you know, of right-wing media in particular, and that being the source of this family's power. And then there's that scene where they joke about the obituaries and the obituaries having all this code in there, you know, saying he's well-connected. Is that a code for being a pedophile? He was old-fashioned. He was a man of his time. Is that just saying he was racist, etc.? Uh, the the family's, you know, sort of messaging arms or propaganda machines and these people being the ones who like shape public memory as opposed right. to private memory and history and all that being tied back to just like yeah all the very small I guess you could call them micro aggressive ways that women are treated uh in this world the show is a, is very graceful and subtle when it comes to tying all of that together
1: very so. and I yeah just I that just really quick that that scene when they were reading the obits and then sort of uh snarking together about logan uh I, I, to me i saw that as the roast that logan was like desperately seeking just a few nights ago um you know just in the same house upstairs and you know it was a conversation that you know at this point in the kids lives they wouldn't have been able to have you know with logan as evidenced by their last conversation together but again just you know going back to the the theme of misalignment and uh you know wherever <laughs> logan was uh viewing that conversation from you know it's what he was craving in, in the last days of his death and you know they couldn't really you know get on the same page until he's gone.
2: It's what you're saying too Brendan it reminds me of I mean the sort of show is always dealt too with this blending of the personal and the professional or political how they're never separate and that's why they don't get any real strictly emotional moments you know we fought for a few in the last episode but you know, the, this is supposed to be a wake, but it's actually a board meeting, and it's actually yeah. uh, they're waiting for they're, they're a candidate, right? Isn't he on his way for the whole episode? We we yes, right? Where, I I presume I um, he he's going to
0: supposed sh-
1: to be there. I yeah. presume he's going to yeah. show up,
0: and like maybe in the cold open next week. But I was like, oh my god, right. did they cut Jared Menken from this episode? I was so no. mad about that because we love the I actor, mean, right? Yeah, yes, no, he's yeah.
2: incredible, and I think they were you know they keep dropping in references to the the election and the election, and I think. That's the other reason that Shiv's pregnancy is a problem, because the the personal and political and professional and private, there are no, those boundaries don't exist in this world. No one gets their private moment. No one is allowed to have emotions or to reveal vulnerabilities. And in a time of a death in the family or a pregnancy, that sort of gets really sort of pulled to the the utmost and I think that's why we saw we've seen a lot of breaking apart and pulling together really feel in some ways this could have been a kind of one of those episodes that just needs to do a lot of work like these people are now part these are coming back together the fact that they've made such a symphony out of it all and it's really testament to the writing because you really felt like in some ways now we're seeing what the real response to Logan's, like, that was just the shock. The last episode was the shock, but now we're seeing what it's going to be, the reverberations, emotional and otherwise, and sort of keep thinking about what Roman said about, I think I pre-grieved, or maybe it's going yeah. to hit me later. I feel like it's sort of both those things at once. Um, right. and, and this is an episode about that, about having pre-grieved him, and then having lost him twice, losing him physically and maybe feeling guilty about it in Shiv's case, but then losing him to the public uh, perception and the history being rewritten by seeing him represented in these ways that are completely unfamiliar. It sh- Doesn't Shiv say something like, sounds like a great guy, I wish I met him? <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, but yeah. She- and Connor had a similar line too um, in another episode. I think maybe it was the Turnhaven episode when they were trying to... Um, to, you know, sort of uh, fluff up Logan's, you know, credentials a little bit to sound a little bit more palatable to the Pierce's. I'm not sure if it was that, but it wasn't the first time one of the kids said, like, wow, I really would have liked to know that version of Dad.
2: (laughs) I think Paleo-Libertarian is actually pretty good. (laughs) I don't know if I could parse it, but there is like a caveman, uh, no, no laws apply to be uh free market, uh, energy that seems to, seems more, more suited.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a line in the, 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 what it takes episode, which was the political episode, uh, last season where Logan says, I don't care about the resume or ideological purity as long as they get it and they pop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not a whole lot of, uh, of, principles there it's really again about um who's gonna look good on tv and throw red meat to the base and um you know keep the the tabloids churning and whatnot
2: well and 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 the atn
1: machine hands
2: off hands off the company right exactly i mean i think that it is interesting that he sort of made this return to journalism roots and recent episodes logan you know that speech that like completely insane very shape uh, the murdoch speech yeah. <laughs> yeah but it was really like henry fifth practically i mean it was absolutely really yeah. incredible. i loved it yeah, yeah
1: i loved it with the, the the music you're pirates and he gets them all going and it's like compared to like the way tom or kendall gives a speech to a room like that it's just yeah. you know why why logan won and why he was a winner his whole that's life right.
2: and it's not that's not politics that's power you know i think that yes. he, he's only he's force, not interested yeah. in politics
1: he's interested in power
2: and, power and and media is i think to him the ultimate
0: power. it's maybe yeah. a small detail but it's something that absolutely i absolutely flipped for when i noticed it uh that hanging in that because we we go into this space that carolina and hugo usher ken and roman into after the board vote which looked to be like a private office or a private study that we've never seen before for Logan, that's where you know you see the sweater over the chair and like a few kind of like candy, Sudoku, a few candies in yeah. a bowl, that kind of thing. Um, that uh, the bowl that hasn't been refilled in some time. Very, all these like very fascinating touches of somebody who's just like suddenly been you know raptured out of that space, um, with all his personal effects still there. Nobody's t- no nobody from the staff has been in there to kind of like clean up after it. That was very much a private space. Um, but I mean, there's uh, there's artwork all over the place in these houses, and I'm sure more eagle-eyed viewers who know more about this stuff could like catch more of these details but the thing that i zeroed in on was that there is an etching by the italian artist piranesi on the wall behind logan's desk um which is from his views of rome series and i mean he did these amazing uh architectural etchings of you know rome that evoked this sense of decay and so you have this uh sense of logan's obsession with you know america as a dying empire like this very pessimistic outlook that had kind of defined his character over the last season and change, like his very darkening mood that we were seeing towards the end of his life. But the thing that it really called to mind for me was that what most people know that artist for Piranesi is for a series called impossible prisons uh, that are these much more surreal drawings of well, basically that of basically uh, dungeons in these spaces that like geometrically don't make sense. Right. And uh, that had a very interesting association for me with, again, the way that this episode is sort of shot and directed as if they're in a haunted house. And there are all these steps that people keep missing and like tripping down and like, you know, views that people use to loom over each other. And a motif that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but not so much this season, is the motif of, you know, the family and the company as a kind of trap, as a kind of cage or prison. Um, so it was very, I thought it, it it was it was very purposeful. I thought to me that, that that placement of that particular drawing there was a was a great detail, and I just yeah, that's that that's one that has personal significance for me. So I thought, I thought that was very
2: interesting. Wow, that's amazing. I missed that entirely, but it seems especially given that they talk about his paintings, his gargant in this episode and the, right, yeah, yes. <laughs> it, it's true, that right, yes, that that that's you know ideally would be burnt for
1: insurance (laughs) that was so funny
2: (laughs) um but i think you know they're so careful with that stuff as you know um it has it feels like it has to have a significance and i do think that scafaria's direction really emphasizes the maze-like structure of that space and you feel like you can't get it's it almost doesn't feel like it makes sense. Like I, kept, right. I always try to picture that space. Me too. Yeah. I yeah. was, I was
1: like playing a clue game in my mind. Like, okay, so that happened in the study and that's connected to, because literally like yeah. all those rooms exist. Yeah. Existed in yeah. That, Again, in that. it's
0: like, it's like the shining or, or like the impossible geometry, right? Where it, do- it right. doesn't it, quite make sense. This yeah.
2: That's right. And, yeah. and that room is so small. It's just the last place that you expect. Roman right you're like ha- where did this come uh, logan from? logan to have this office <laughs> yeah um it's interesting the rome stuff which makes me think of that famous quote about rome that it fell slowly and then all at once because that mm. does feel a little bit about, about, what we're, about what we're talking about so feels like there's lots of possibilities with that that's, yeah that's a delicious detail I
1: Love it, it is and if we're talking about sort of traps and escaping you know there's a lot of that uh, starting to to come into motion here, obviously, as the series is wrapping up, we're moving towards that. But even, you know, with the C-suite, you can get the sense that um, these people, you know, they don't have the emotional investment that the kids do with regards to the company. They are trying to get their bag and get out. And the kids are essentially an obstacle for them. Um, you know, Carl has that hilarious line about being halfway in on a Greek island with his brother-in-law and he doesn't want the little princess to screw it up for him. Um, so funny. I mean, just my God, like the, just the two of them running up to that room together, Frank and Carl, just the hijinks. I, I love it so much. And then, uh, you know, Jerry coming in and then them having to tell the kids. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those people, they want out, but they want to make sure that they get what they earned, you know, for the pound of flesh that they've paid for these, all these decades working for Logan. Um, you know, and now it, it's it's, it's going to be this interesting tension between them who feel like, Hey, we've been the ones working doing this shit. You guys are just the little heirs. um and you know i'm I'm really excited to see the way the way that, that plays out. And then you know the idea of of traps uh for the kids, you know that that you know is more central, and I think um it was interesting to bring back both the Stewie Ken relationship and the the Frank Kendall relationship because both of those people are. Um, you know, friends of Ken's. It's not all, uh, you know, there's self interest, obviously, as there is in any relationship in this show. But you know, it was interesting that we got, um, we got these scenes because, um, both of them do love Kendall and have suggested the idea of getting out to him. You know, Frank is one of those characters, that I think it's hard to accept as complicit in the deeds of this world, even though he clearly has been, Um, you know, he's Logan's consigliere, essentially, he's the one Logan trusted, which is sometimes hard to square with how nice Frank seems. Um, And I think part of that is just that Peter Friedman is such a, you know, a great guy and such a gentle, genteel, likable actor. And Frank, for all of his faults, seems to be one of the more respectable people in this world and has sort of this sense of, of, Self-sacrifice when it when it comes to this family. I don't know why uh, he takes. I mean, yes, you could say it's the money, but um, you know, I think there is a genuine fondness there. Um, he takes a lot of shit, obviously, from Logan, but also from the kids. Um, <laughs> the way Roman talks about him, just starting from season one, Kendall two, um, because he knows that that the kids can't speak like that to Logan, and he's been there since they were born and seen everything that they've been through, and I think he sort of has this real affection for them. And, you know, he often kind of gently lies or is very careful in how he words things to Kendall about his father, um, you know, and as a kindness, um, you know, he, he does, you know, sometimes have to say things that I don't think he fully believes, but I think that's some of what he was doing here. And ultimately, you know, at the end, he says, Ken, it seems like you're doing better. You know, why don't you pack it in? That was that was the act of, of, of love of a real father, um, but he's merely a surrogate. Kendall doesn't know that kind of love. He doesn't understand that kind of love and, and he doesn't care much about that kind of love. So, you know, it's kind of just I, I love the Frank Kendall relationship. I've always been here for it. Um, it was nice to see in Logan's absence, um, you know, Frank sort of try and offer some counsel. Um, and just you know, I just think Peter Friedman is such a terrific actor and the way he sort of kind of had to talk Kendall off the ledge there, um, you know, it was it was again something when I watched without the sound just really really beautiful piece of acting from Peter Friedman I I just couldn't say better things about I think he deserves an Emmy for this role I I just I love him so much.
0: Remember in uh (laughs) in uh season two in hunting when they implied that Frank was coming back to the company because he had like a 20 year old girlfriend or something that he needed to like woo.
1: He interviewed for a bunch of jobs that he didn't get yeah Logan calls him a fucking creep and he's like uh what <laughs> uh yeah but, but then, we've, yeah, all, just kind of of like, we've, we've all just kind of like we've all just agreed
0: to forget that detail just because it doesn't jive with how much we like peter friedman character.
1: <laughs> yeah
2: well, i mean also logan's not the most reliable narrator of true of
1: yeah i imagine frank is probably divorced with you know grown kids we didn't well, see none that of, much none of them but
2: can have a life when you live right. like this so i think i think that not only is he a surrogate father to Kendall, but Kendall's a surrogate son to him. And I yeah. do I do think he really says, you know, you've got something good going here. Why do you want to get dragged back into this? That did feel like maybe the the sole unambivalent moment in the episode in terms, you know, it felt really, it did feel real. Maybe I also like that actor, so maybe I'm just vulnerable yeah. to it. But it felt very pure to me. It felt like it wasn't about what would help him
1: no i think i think that was it was a real moment of of frank um yeah frank's affection for kendall and, and it just I,
2: wasn't what kendall wanted to hear i think he received no. it with with warmth but he once he, there was this answer he wanted there he wanted to yeah. say he you know your dad yeah. wanted it to be
0: it's nice to have frank but he can't give kendall what he ultimately wants he can't give him the kind of validation that he actually wants because that's to come from somewhere else somewhere that's Uh, right that it's impossible to get but the 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 other element in that scene of course the reason as always with this show the reason you can't ever view any action as you know totally selfless you know or totally loving is because it's always tied up in you know the business and the tension with the c-suite there where they're all very opposed to the kids taking over the deal it's not just that like one of them wants the job for themselves right like we sense that jerry and carl both would very much like the job for themselves but they're all really worried that the kids are going to screw up the Gojo deal, and they all want their payday. For them, yeah. That's the that's the big thing. They all want this to be an interim I, CEO. I share their
2: concerns. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and they don't trust. I, they don't trust that the kids are concerned. going to be interim at all.
1: I think yeah, exactly I mean right. Car- Carl says that right off the bat. I loved that little shall we talk in the China room scene, and Carl's like, "Well, I don't really trust the kids on on their commitment to the deal." Um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I, I kind of was surprised at how. Quickly, they sort of gave in to the the Kendall Roman co announcement. Um, I don't know. Was did you see that as just sort of appeasement or? I
0: think they just don't have a better argument. They don't have a better case yeah. for any of them individually. Um, they know that jerry's But I mean,
1: what about Jerry? Jerry's been doing it.
0: Yeah, but I mean, again, it's like it's it's that line where Roman called her a clever, competent filing cabinet. Right, like there is something where like they want something. <laughs> what is the line that Kendall has? He says something really. He he phrases it in a really funny way. I wrote it down where he says he says same old but with a vibey new banner. Um, got,
2: yeah, vibey new banner. Uh, they because also don't don't think that gives him the, the stock market result they want either. Right. right yeah, they right, want right, right. they
0: they want they want a pop. They know that the old guard, none of them are exciting. They know that none of them really yeah. scream like you know a vital you know business that's uh, that's not sunsetting itself. Right.
1: Right. Yeah,
2: it's it it's, it's really it's the density of what goes on. I can't believe we hadn't talked about that Frank Kendall scene. Yeah, that's like yeah. I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite scene in an episode. like that I know there's so
1: much, and then and then we have Kendall and Stewie who go so far back. Like uh, Stewie, uh, the the only uh, confirmed friend of any of the Roy children, and it's not even a normal friendship. It's uh, completely tied up in money and deal making now, but. Those two do go way back. If you remember, there's a reference to them going to Buckley together, which is a very bougie uh, private elementary school in New York. So we know that that, that Ken and Stewie have this deep history. Um, it was very nice to see Stewie make Ken laugh. It wasn't even a very funny joke, but he made Kendall laugh. You know, he made Kendall hug him. You know, there's like these little sort of guardian angels coming in to say, hey, Ken, you know, like maybe you're loved. Maybe you can do something better maybe you can move on but um you know it was also fun to hear Stewie talk about his um his cranky old dad being in his 90s suing the neighbor so you know there there's a lot that bonded these two as children that they probably had you know similar kind of upbringings with uh, strict fathers and um you know all this all of this friendship has been you know tested time and time again throughout the series you know it's ultimately not going to be reliable so long as it's as it's so tied up um you know, with, with, with money.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's another sense with both of those scenes with Stewie and Frank in which the show kind of reestablishes its emotional stakes in a lot of these relationships that were established way back at the beginning of the show and have kind of been complicated and damaged over time by all the plot events that have happened. You know, there is a sense in which this could be a fresh start, for many of the, for some of the characters, it could be a fresh start for Ken if you know he and his siblings chose to just get out at this moment. Um, and I think the show is uh, again in the sense of a final season lingering on these relationships to say uh, no, no exit. They are not taking the off ramps. Uh, I suppose um, we are going rather long, but we should talk briefly about the the stuff with Matson on the phone or Matson's surrogate. There's a the actor. Yo- I hope I'm pronouncing Johannes Johannson. Uh, who is the surrogate Oscar on the phone there. There's great just, name. <laughs> yeah, there's just, a, there's just a great, like, Dordic lack of sentiment on the phone there where they're, like, Shiv, again, <laughs> Shiv is not, the, the big thing with Shiv in this episode is she's not graceful or subtle in these negotiations at all. She just, like, yeah. comes out and says what's on her mind uh like with this very with this very grating like uh sorry excuse me my dad just died kind of thing it's like she's right but it's you know she's 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 not yeah. she's not ingratiating at all where she could stand to be but yeah he has that funny reaction where he says oh yeah rough one we we feel for you guys um also, <laughs> also could you fly out to i think it's i think uh, we're assuming that that it's stockholm that they're swedish um because that was because that was well, where, i think yeah that, that was where logan based, was said I think to fly stockholm out to, but with, they, with they stockholm. might
2: yeah. be of it seems retreat like it's, area, yeah, yeah. I got the sense Woodsy. that it was in the country as sort of this annual retreat, and it looked like from the previews that were going.
1: on. It, yes. It's somewhere Scandinavia. That was very funny. And then, yeah, he's like, "Can you just uh, maybe send one of one of those old guys you have here to be here twenty four hours?"
2: But it's sort of that. It's just that the games playing the gamesmanship with him, right? Is never Even them just stop.
1: not answering the first call and then
2: completely calling legitimate. back,
1: and yeah
2: it's completely it's just, le- legitimate not to pick up the call, but the fact that Madsen then immediately passes the phone and won't pick up is sort of, right. this is real, this is real little boy stuff. And we're, you know, they're right back in it with him. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him. It's going to be uh, so
1: interesting. And Shiv mm-hmm. was right to get annoyed, but again, it didn't, it doesn't play well because, you know, that's not the game. Yeah.
2: I mean, I, maybe it is. I mean, It'll be interesting to see, you know. I think well, there is
1: there, she definitely interacts with Mattson next week, and there's a lot of fan theories about what's going to happen there. So we'll see. I think see. he
2: doesn't like to just be able to plow. I mean, he does like it, but I think in part he's, there's a Logan aspect to him that he's always sort of poking and prodding and testing people to see if yeah. they're tough enough. And I think uh, Shiv's lack of patience could be, could be useful.
0: Yeah, patience is a good thing to bring up because there's a, a great recurring theme all throughout the whole series. I think back to Logan making the president wait on hold back in oh, season one, episode six. Liars! because yes! yeah, and, and that was a big theme in the season premiere of this season is just people being made to wait, the constant running gag of them keeping their investors waiting outside is like time being the, the one thing you can steal from another rich person, right, to flex on them.
2: Boy, that's right. Especially when we've had these two episodes, these back-to-back-contained-in-one-day day day episodes, right? I mean, I've heard a theory even that, but the one before that wasn't, right? I mean, people are sort of gaming out the time, always trying to figure out the timing of succession. But do you have the sense that we're (laughs) going to go another day, just another day in the next episode?
0: Well, I I think it li- I don't I think it lines up that way because if if this is if the wedding the election, if the wedding yeah. was Friday because the markets were open because we saw the stock ticker yes. and they're saying the markets yeah. are closed then today's Saturday, tomorrow's Sunday and then I think the next episode after that is not the election episode because I saw a synopsis and I don't think it's that so then yeah maybe we are uh just still going day by day and episode seven day is Tuesday election day. Connor, yeah, Connor's, Connor's tastes <laughs> his liquidity is being stretched a bit I think uh, he's spending yeah. too much money on political well, ads
2: now he's got the townhouse he's well, he got to 60, stop making offers on yeah 63 million dollars it's a pretty good deal for a new york townhouse I have to
1: say
0: well um, it's a great yeah. it's a great deal for Marsha um you know he's uh, not I mean, with, not, with not a, that money not a good negotiator uh, Connor, because she says sixty to seventy, and he just goes to why? Why start at sixty three? Why are you starting there? Why not start at sixty? Um,
1: what do offend her? <laughs> but it's kind, I, I kind of read that as cute, like he doesn't like he doesn't it, want it, a low baller. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well, that too, but also just the fact that he wants the house. Like I know that he makes the joke about like oh, it's so hard to get into these buildings and stuff and realtors fees, but I think that like, there's like also this tenderness there where it's just like this was Daddy's home. Um, you know, uh, families like that like to keep real estate like within, you know, within the family. Um, I would never want to live in a place like that. I mean, that we've been talking about how claustrophobic and haunted it feels. And oh, I that's only
2: because there's hundreds of people. <laughs> <in that one.
1: laughs> but it might be even be scarier, empty. You know. Um.
0: Yeah, tenderness and also yeah. just like the gaping psychological lack that Connor has, where it's like, well, yes. if I if I can't get my dad's attention, if I can't ever. Feel loved by him. I can just move into his like I don't know, this space that he owned, right? I can well, just Will I can just move us. into like his his ghost's space.
2: He's planning to knock down some of those
1: walls anyway. So as she said, yeah, she, she went to. Open she started up. getting into it, yeah. And her mother was there again too, right? I don't I don't think the that the the board is going to approve of those
2: <laughs> structural changes, but
1: uh. oh no, <laughs> not in a place like that. Um. Yeah, that was funny. Also, just like a quick, funniest side was uh, <laughs> Peter Munyan got brought up in this episode as uh, he he almost rerouted his a uh, flight to Spain to come and console the kids. <laughs> and the kids were sitting around joking about that.
0: What did he say? He said it's a rum situation and it's one in the ear for all of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, I said that to Connor. <laughs> oh man, are we gonna get more Munyan? I hope so.
0: I don't know if... I think I think he was on the cast list for this season. Yeah, I know we're... we're yeah. Definitely
1: Harriet Walter, so I would imagine... We're definitely you know, due to yeah. see
0: Lady Caroline. We're definitely due to see Ewan again. Um,
1: well, there's going to be a funeral, so... Yes. I think the funeral is episode seven, from what I heard.
0: Oh, so maybe that's not election um, day. No idea what's happening. Yeah, maybe... I don't oh,
2: know. Who knows? I, I didn't think we were going to get a funeral. I thought this was sort of
1: wow maybe maybe not i don't know but i have i've heard rumblings who knows they definitely
0: uh, shot funeral footage who knows how much of it they intend to use but they definitely were filming right. a funeral
1: but next week somewhere scandy yes finally getting out of the city for a little bit It'll be good. exciting it's been a while
0: Nice change, of, nice change of scenery. A little bit of green. Uh, yeah, just running down characters we didn't talk about. Carolina glimpsed in this episode. You know, sticking up for Jerry again. That alliance seems to I'm be. I'm telling firm. you.
2: <laughs> Once again, proves herself to be maybe the only competent person working for that entire operation. <laughs> Literally, she's really, she's really on it, um, yeah. and a highly professional. Um, but it was-
1: yeah, and I know she's there uh in the next episode too i love um, that
2: actress she's so good
1: uh, i love her she's so just like i don't know the way she talks i i, I made a tweet like carolina succession asmr because i think she just has the, uh, such a lovely voice and way about her accent.
0: yeah yeah did you, did you see uh you saw the lost you saw the lost daughter yes right? yes
1: yeah, she did that amazing. Accent. She was great.
0: She's wonderful in that movie. She, yeah,
1: she's got great range. Yeah, so and she's been doing well. She's been getting good parts and stuff. So yeah, we're 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 team Dags. Happy Daggy.
0: <laughs> and then uh, a little bit of the two Sandys, uh, daughter Sandy, and right. dad Sandy, which is such a this character. The way this character has been handled is so odd. Like I, this is one of these things where it's like very close to reality because like they're very obviously thinking of like Sumner Redstone and Sherry Redstone with this relationship. Uh, But it's so Mm -hmm. odd how, like, Larry Pine, is he just kind of evaporates as a presence uh, to where he's just in a wheelchair now, um, and and his daughter is just pushing him around like he's made a younger body for himself. It's a very weird sort of, like, ghostly thing between the two of them, because they don't really do very much with Hope Davis's character. But the way he pops up and he's just sort of silently leering and grinning without being able to speak a word is also uh, very suggestive in this episode.
2: Yes, and very gothic, again. Um, I think that feels like right out of a gothic story is sort of that, and that notion of, you know, that they keep playing with him, almost being this ventriloquist dummy, you know, that, right. that she's utilizing. Feels like they're going to use something with it, but it is an amazing thing when you have an actor that's good as him to, to sort of have him just do this Pushed physical, around as a
1: vegetable, yeah. Just
2: do this physical... Um, I mean, he's, he's quite impressive, though, and, and they—I mean—they always do get some good jokes off of him, which is kind yeah. of cruel.
0: Well, and Hope Davis too, who is like again, like the actors that this show will just like wave in front of you, just like waving wads of hundred-dollar bills in your face, and then just like sweep them away, and you <laughs> won't see them again.
1: Jeannie Berlin, yet again. <laughs> and they've—they've
2: they've really played with Shiv and Sandy's daughter, having in some ways sort of having a special connection or potentially I don't think they exactly trust each other, but they obviously understand the position that one another's in. It will be interesting to see if that if that Yeah, it would. Continues. That was an interesting scene
1: in the yeah. last season. Yeah. So if that comes yeah. up again. Yeah.
0: Sandy just, just had like
1: another mirror for Shiv, yeah.
0: She just had the good fortune for her father to, to fall terminally ill, you know, or perhaps or perhaps, perhaps she took the initiative and poisoned him herself, you know, we don't know. <laughs>
1: Or
2: has the good fortune not to have brothers who uh Yeah, <laughs> <intervene>. exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, precisely.
2: I would say, wait, one of my favorite moments was uh, Carl and Frank in that scene where they talk about flushing the paper down the toilet by mistake. <laughs> and Carl says, I'm kidding, of course. And Frank says, oh, sure, you're speculating in a comic mode. And Carl says, in a humorous vein, that bit of business they have with each other. I mean, you really oh, seeing, so like, expert character actors get to i mean yeah. really let them get to do their thing really maybe for the first time because we were so focused on this the siblings this season so far for the right. most part it was really wonderful to get to see all I'm of I'm stuff.
1: thrilled about it because they're such terrific actors and you know we've been talking about them for seasons they've been around since the beginning and um it's it's just yeah it's incredible to just have this stacked level of talent and and they're only second and third tier characters but it, it's gonna be fun because now we're gonna get more of them and and yeah I was just delighted by every every c-suite interaction in this episode it was just it was so funny
0: yeah Friedman and Ratchet are both kind of like stage veterans and I believe they've they've been friends yeah. for years so they they do have they, they they do they do have a they do have a working rapport I had somehow Incepted myself into thinking David Rashi had been in a Christopher Guest movie at some point, but I, I guess I had imagined that. Uh, but but he has one of the gr- his, he has one his of the
1: IMDb goes way yes. But he back. has one of the great yeah. comic
0: performances of all time. I think when he played the the Donald Rumsfeld analog and in, in the movie in the Loop, the Armando Iannucci movie right. that Armstrong also worked on, um, phenomenal yeah. performance. Yeah, and he's he's getting he's getting to flex a bit more in, in Logan's absence.
1: Hugo, Carolina jerry and frank have always kind of been there but uh it, it, yeah it's fun to see now all these people who've you know just been in logan's shadow like you guys are the bosses now and well and, is it.
2: and hugo with his daughter it's another echo of these failed parents in the episode sort of right oh again, my god yeah because he admits that he
1: he doesn't he, even have a relationship with her yeah. yeah i know Logan, i know brenda didn't love that little plot device but um, i just
0: i thought it was a bit uncharacteristically clumsy for the show that we take this person who has never been suggested to have any sort of personal or inner life at all and all of a sudden he introduces one just so it can be used against him as a plot device. I thought that was a bit clumsy.
2: I would say thematically it made sense in this episode but I it did stand out to me too as usually the kind of thing they don't do which is right. sort of drop something in at the beginning and then which is a very standard dramatic series show but it's just not the stuff kind of thing that the show does that much um but you know i would forgive them because i think it has a real thematic well, of course, about
0: yeah. all Absolutely, these yeah. all
2: these uh uh but yeah I, it's interesting that you noted that too brendan because it just Felt like normally they would have dropped that. And she did it a few episodes ago. Yeah, maybe made yes. one more reference to it.
1: Yeah, they're packing yeah. so
0: much great stuff into these episodes. Maybe that was established and they had to cut it out for some reason. I'll I'll say That's the right. uh, I'll say on the other hand a funny thing that I liked in this episode was when uh, uh, Roman and Shiv were talking after the discussion about the addendum where Shiv says, maybe we just give the poor orphan what he wants, which reminded yeah. which reminded me very much of the <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where Larry gets indignant that Marty Funkhauser is calling himself an orphan in his middle age <laughs> when his parents pass away.
1: Well, it's so funny that, that, that they... they... Position Kendall as the orphan and not themselves.
0: <laughs> well, because they're not literally orphans, their mom's still alive.
1: Right? No, they have a mom. <laughs> Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but she doesn't count, you know, well, for good reason. Connor
1: is is, is actually the orphan, poor thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: They, know, yeah, he's very much the Marty Funkhauser of this group.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man.
0: Okay. Um, Megan, this was an absolute pleasure and our oh, real, a real a real a real privilege so for us. We're very glad you were able to join us. Um Truly.
1: This
2: was the most fun. I cannot tell you. Thanks for letting me get to play with you. I loved hearing your thoughts, and I, yeah, I am really humbled at your knowledge of it because I thought I knew my stuff, but you guys can name episode titles back to <laughs> season one. It's so impressive, and I love it. And I think it speaks to how rich the show is that you can, you know, you can spend this much time on it, yeah. on it, and still see echoes and resonances backwards and potentially forward. It's been great
0: yeah that's the uh, the richness of the show right is that it inspires uh, a lot of great serious commentary and then all these kooky theories by people who are bar- <laughs> yeah. people who are barely paying attention it still captures their imaginations in a way right
1: it's true yeah
0: and we want to remind people megan you have a you have a new book coming out yes
2: that's right uh may 30th it's called beware the woman and and um um it's set in the midwest so watch out oh great <laughs> Watch out. I, it was until i said that love that i realized that yes there is a dangerous in this book so so watch out and tom i'm i'm looking out for you
0: is there is there an is there an evil villainous tom Wobsgans character in this
1: maybe perhaps <laughs> well we're excited very much And we are very, very grateful. Thank you, Megan. Hey,
2: well, I can't wait to listen to you guys next week. We'll see what happens at the retreat. Yay.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, Thanks again to Megan Abbott. Thanks to Gabby and to our producer, Dan Black. If you are enjoying the RoyCast, the best way to show your support is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your app of choice. Second best way is to show your support is through the Square link in our bio. RoyCast is a passion project, and we incur minor ongoing fees related to producing and hosting this independent show. The content will never be paywalled, and we thank those who have supported us so far. We'll be back next week to discuss another episode of Succession's final season. Until then, take care of yourself. Goodbye.